there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are going to close out this series that we've been in for five weeks entitled uh, The Five Seasons. Um, we start the series out the same way every week, Ecclesiastes 3.1, <clears throat> where King Solomon, who is the wisest man who ever lived, wrote these words, For everything there is a season, a, a time for every matter under heaven. Uh, and we're pairing that with uh, a psalm that Moses wrote, Psalm 90. Uh, in verse 10, Moses informs us that, he says, The years of our life are 70, or if by reason of strength, 80. So he's basically saying, listen, you get 70 or 80 years on this earth, um, and then your time is gone and we, we fly away. Uh, and so throughout the duration of this series, uh, we have looked at the four seasons of life. I'm not, I'm not going to spend any, any time on it, just review. The springtime of your life would be those of you who are youth, 0 to 20 years of age. Week 2, we talked about those who are living in the summer of their life, adulthood, 21 to 40 years of age. Uh, and then we talked about the fall season of life, which is middle age or middle adulthood, 41 to 60. And then last week, we addressed the winter stage of life, and that would be 61 years uh, and older. Um, I want to remind you guys that King Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes as he was an old man, right before he passed away. During the winter season of his life, he's looking back at all these seasons and he's reflecting. And so we've talked about all four of these seasons in detail. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about the fifth season of life, eternity foreverness, living outside of the laws of time itself. Now, eternity is a, an incredibly difficult concept for us as humans who are bound by time to, to, to really grasp a hold of. Um, it, eternity is difficult, if not impossible, uh, to illustrate. Uh, people often ask me as a preacher, they say, Preacher, can you explain eternity to me? And I simply respond, I could, but it might take forever. Um, it, it's, just a, it's just a difficult concept to comprehend because you and I are bound by time. So throughout the duration of this series, we've been talking a lot about our time here on earth. Now, here's why. Because we spend most of our lives thinking and striving and working to make our lives better during this 70 or 80 year lifespan that we have. Most of our thoughts and our efforts uh, go towards this endeavor of life. We spend a lot of time concentrating on this life. Solomon would call this over and over again, if you're a student of Ecclesiastes, toil. Uh, to toil means to be incessantly busy, working, playing, chasing the pleasures that this life has to offer. He would call that our toil. 
Ecclesiastes 1.3, Solomon says, What does man gain by all his toil, at which he toils under the sun? So he's asking the question, what do we gain from all of this? All this pursuit of trying to make our lives better and more comfortable and easier, um, what do we gain from this? He repeats this sentiment in, in Ecclesiastes 3.9 when he asks again, what gain has the worker for his toil? So what he's asking us is, is this, is it worth it? These 70 or 80 years, all this labor and all this intense seeking after things that we think will bring, bring us pleasure, is it worth it? All this running around, going to and from, busying ourselves with things, laboring to get ahead in life, all these things that we chase during these, these seasons of life, are they worth it? All the things that we thought would bring us pleasure, uh, only to find they leave us empty and disappointed. All the people we thought would complete us, who absolutely shattered our hearts into a million pieces. All the stuff that we've accumulated over the years, we can't even fit it in our house anymore, we have to buy a storage unit. All the work that we put in to buy things that we can't afford to impress people we don't even like in the first place. All this toil and strife to get ahead and to find meaning and purpose in the things of this world. Solomon's going to ask us, was it worth it? His answer, if you know anything about Ecclesiastes, is a resounding no. It's not worth it at all. In fact, look what he says in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Now, when you look at that, you think that Solomon lives a life of futility. Like, he's just he's a grumpy old man. He doesn't like anything. But you have to remember, he's comparing it to eternity. He's saying all this stuff that we do that we think is so important, what's it going to matter five trillion years from now? It's, it's just all meaningless. And so he would come to the conclusion that the only season of life that means anything at all is the season that comes after life, eternity. It's the longest season that we'll live. He's wanting us to stop concentrating on the things that are seen and start concentrating on the things unseen. He wants us to start thinking about eternity. And we don't really talk about eternity a lot. We don't think about it a lot. We certainly don't think and talk and act about eternity like we should. Um, this is a very old sermon illustration, and I've used it here many, many times, uh, but I've been here 20 years, and there's only uh, a finite amount of illustrations on eternity. They're hard to come by, so uh, forgive me if you've seen this before. Um, a lot of youth ministers use it. I think the first person I saw use this illustration was Francis Chan. Um, so I'm going to have to get you to use your what we call your sanctified imagination for a minute. Uh, I want you to um, look at this rope, but I want you to imagine that this rope has no end. All right, so I'm going to throw it where you can't see it. Hopefully, okay. So just just imagine this light, this rope, just goes on and on forever. Okay. Now I don't know if you can see this little this little red spot here on the rope. This would be the first four weeks of the series that we talked about. This is the springtime of your life. 
the, the summer, the fall, and then the winter. All right? Why is it we spend most of our time, most of our effort only concentrating on this? We don't think about this billion years after, after we're gone, or this billion years, or this billion years, or this trillion years, right? And on and on we can go. We spend most of our time thinking, most of our efforts compiling uh, to make ourselves comfortable during this little period of our life. And so in the book of Ecclesiastes that we've been in, this is Solomon's cry to us. He's saying, listen, none of this really matters. You only get 70 or 80 years. This is what matters. This is what's important. This is what we should focus on. This is what we should concentrate on. This is what we should be preparing uh, to, to, to embark on e eternity. So let me just fold this up and not trip anybody. <clears throat> um, so Solomon wants us to understand a very central thought. And the central thought is this, is that our lives, even here on earth, are linked with eternity. The moment you were conceived, you began your eternal journey. We are eternal beings. So we've been in Ecclesiastes 3, and we've only made it to verse 10, and we're not going to make it past verse 11 today as we close this series out. I want to spend some time, and, and you may have seen this verse on a coffee mug or a bookmark or some greeting card. It's a very popular verse. Solomon says this, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He says, He, this is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Okay, so... Those of you who've been here for the duration of the series, all these things we've been talking about the, the, the last four weeks, specifically that list that we methodically went through, the first seven verses where Solomon says stuff like there's a time for everything, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what's planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, and, and, and all of those other things that we talked about. Those things that we go through, that we see and we experience, even, listen to me, even the bad things in life, even the evil things, even the things that we don't understand, the, those things where even as Christians we would go, why? Why, God? I, I, I don't understand why you would let this happen. Solomon's telling us God will make all of this beautiful in its time, that he will reveal to us his sovereignty and that he has orchestrated everything that's happened on this earth for the greater good. Remember, it was the Apostle Paul in the New Testament said that says that God works everything together for good. Now, I don't know how he's going to do this because I'm not God. And I don't think you're going to know how he does this because you're certainly not God either, right? But this is a promise to us. Everything will be worked out for the greater good. Everything, even the tragedies of life, will one day be made beautiful. Um, we've got a, a beautiful lady in our church. Her name is Dawn Hefner. Uh, Dawn's been worshiping with us for, for, for years. Um, a, a little backstory on the life of Dawn Hefner. Her and her husband, Russ, uh, lost a child when, the, when that child was just a little boy, I did, eight or ten years old or something like that. The, the little boy drowned, okay? 
absolutely tragic. Now, I've never lost a child, and I pray I never will, but that has to be the hardest death I, I can imagine. To, it's just so unnatural. All right, and so think about Dawn here on earth. She has other children that bring her joy, but every birthday, every holiday, every Christmas, um, she, I'm sure there, there's just this aching pain in her heart because uh, she lost this child. But here's what I know about Dawn. She's a follower of Jesus Christ. She is washed by the blood of Jesus, and when she dies, not only will she be reunited with Jesus, but she'll be reunited with her son. And they will have all of eternity to make up for lost time. Everything will be made beautiful in its time. He continues, and this is where we want to kind of zero in on this morning. He says, also he, God, has put eternity into man's hearts. All right, that's the phrase we want to zero in on. God has put eternity into the heart of mankind. So listen to me. Every human being, every human soul, saved or unsaved, in all of us, there, there is a God-given awareness that there has to be something more than this transient world, right? It's God placing an eternal longing into our souls to alert us that, hey, this cannot be all there is to life. These 70 or 80 years of toil and then we just are gone. There's got to be something more. He's set eternity into our hearts. All right, so I'm going to take a sharp left turn for a minute. We're going to come back to that phrase. Uh, but I want to talk to you a little bit about some, some very unique animals. Um, the first one I want to introduce you to is the Texas horned lizard. Um, now, this, is a, this animal has a really cool slash gross defense mechanism. When a predator comes up to attack it, it shoots blood from its eye. All right, so if a coyote comes, blood will shoot from the eye, and it serves to kind of confuse the coyote. Uh, and then when he's looking for the blood or gets squirt with the blood, uh, you know, the lizard uh, runs away. It confuses the, the predators. A, another animal I'd like to introduce you to or remind you about is the flying fish. Uh, flying fish are indeed small fish in a big ocean. The largest ones only get it to be about 18 inches long. Did you know that these fish can swim up to 37 miles per hour in the water? Uh, and then they do this amazing thing. They can build up speed and they can launch themselves out of water and they can fly up to 200 meters across the water before they uh, sink back down into the water. Now, why do they do this? They do it to evade predatory fish. It's a defense mechanism built in to the flying fish itself. Let me give you one more. This is the Spanish ribbed newt. So it would be in the salamander family. family. Uh, <laughs> when it's agitated or it's being attacked, this little thing can literally flip its ribs at a 50 degree angle and its ribs will actually pierce its skin and stick out of its skin. It doesn't hurt the, the, the salamander at all. But this happens when a predator tries to attack it. Um, it's going to bite into these sharp, thick, thick ribs, and it's going to get poked. And at the end of these, 
little nubs or is this milky white substance that has poison in it that, that these predators ingest. Okay, so all three of these things, the lizard, the fish, and the newt that I just mentioned have these defense mechanisms built into them to help protect them. Now let's go back to where it says that God has set eternity into our hearts. Did you know, do you know what this is? This is God putting a defense mechanism in our souls. It's a defense mechanism that tells us, hey, something is wrong here. I cannot attain true joy all the time here. There, there's something broken in this world. There has to be more than this life. This cannot be all there is. God in his love gives us this defense mechanism. He sets eternity in our hearts. Okay, and this is why we're different than the animals. We know deep down in our core that there's more to this life. You know, animals are just trying to eat and not be eaten. They just want to live to see another day. But as mankind, we were created in the very image of God. And we were given dominion over creation. We're going to go back to the creation account in Genesis 1, if you have your Bibles. Uh, I just want you to see this. I'm going to pick up in verse 26. Um, then God said, let us, the us there is, I believe, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over uh, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. All right, this is talking about eternity here. All right, uh, there's this Hebrew concept of God breathing life into the nostrils of man. He breathed eternity into us. In other words, scripturally speaking, um, you know, when Fluffy the cat dies, Fluffy the cat dies and, it, and turns to dust and that's it. Well, that's, that's a great fate for any cat, I think, um, <laughs> right? But for humans, when we die, we don't cease to exist. We've got life breathed into us by God. We've got a soul that lives on forever. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, what this scripture tells us is that man is different from the rest of creation. We have eternity in our hearts that links us to heaven. Okay, and so this explains why nobody in this world can be 100% satisfied with just the endeavors that this life has to offer, right? No matter how much money we have, no matter how good looking we think our spouse might be, no matter how high on the corporate ladder we climb, no matter how many drugs we take, no matter how many friends we have, none of it can satisfy us. Why? Because we were designed by God, who is all-knowing. And if God is all-knowing, he knew before mankind fell that we were going to fall, right? He's all-knowing. He knew before we rebelled that we were going to rebel. He also knew that there's a lot of counterfeit stuff out there. Everything God created, the devil counterfeited. 
All right. And so he knew that we would always try to find meaning more in his creation than the creator himself. We would always try to find meaning in the pleasures of this world. And the one thing that calls us back over and over again is the eternity that he set in our hearts. It's the question that we all have to wrestle with. That after this life, where will I spend eternity? And so it's this beautiful defense mechanism that he places in us. And so what I want to do with the time I have left uh, is to relay to you uh, what I feel is a very unpopular message in today's culture. Uh, I don't really care about today's culture. I care about Jesus, and I'm going to preach him whether it's popular or not. Um, but this is somewhat of an unpopular message, and the message is simply this. You are going to spend this fifth season, this season of eternity, somewhere. One of two places, heaven or hell. The Bible says that we'll spend it in heaven or we'll spend it in hell. Those are the only two options given. And so let's talk about heaven just for a second. Heaven is this this wonderful, wonderful place that's described where, where life, perfect life is restored, right? It, it's this place where we have meaning and purpose without any fear or inhibitions. In other words, no one's going to be shamed or embarrassed in heaven. No one's going to be humiliated or pointed at or mocked in heaven. There are no anxious moments in the presence of God. Heaven is also this place where we're told we're going to have these new glorified bodies. And so if you were in here last week and we went through Ecclesiastes 12, we talked about the aging process and you left here utterly depressed, don't be depressed for long because you're going to be given a new and a glorious body. And you're never going to have aches and pains or be sore. There's no such thing as cancer or AIDS or MS or wheelchairs in heaven. Heaven is described as a place where our greatest fear will be no more. You know what the number one fear is from human beings? Death. Second, uh, followed by public speaking. <laughs> but death. Death is the number one fear. It's, it's always around and it's always hanging over us. In heaven, we don't have that hanging over our heads anymore. Think about it. Heaven is this place where your heart will never be broken again. So maybe think about you were married and your spouse had an affair on you or, or, or your child won't speak to you or, or something. And you just, your heart is in a, you're trying to rebuild it because it was just shattered into a million pieces. You don't have that going on. There's no broken hearts in heaven. Heaven is a place where anxiety and depression cease to exist because we will be in the throne room in the creator, the author, and the perfecter of joy. Like I say this all the time, God is not a, a killjoy. He's not here to kill your joy. God invented joy. All right, And we're going to be there in its purest form. And heaven is this wonderful place where we will never have to say goodbye to a loved one. Ever. All this stuff I just talked to you and described, it's, it's in the Bible. The Apostle John, in his revelation, writes this in Revelation 21. 
He says this, picking up in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things of life have passed away. You see, all this stuff that, that just hurts us now, that keeps us up at night now, that causes fear and anxiety, it's gone. John says, it's passed away. You know, when I pass away, they're going to put me in the ground. Don't dig me back up because I'm gone. All right, so all these things are passed away, never to be again. This flesh that we live in that absolutely incarcerates us, it's gone. And we are free from any evil or sin. Okay, so those are just the things that we can comprehend about heaven. But I think what makes heaven so magnificent is the fact that most of heaven is made up of these things we can't even fathom, right? We can't even imagine them. We can't comprehend joy unspeakable, never to not be in, in, in joy. We can't comprehend bliss like we, we can't even describe. Everything is in perfect, rhythmic harmony in heaven. It's lit up by God himself. The streets are made of gold. The sea's made of crystal. You've got the tree of life there. Okay, and so it, it's almost a futile point to even try to comprehend heaven. Uh, let, let me show you something just as an example, as a case in point. Um, I, we're going to go to the book of Acts for just a second. Uh, and, and this is talking about the life of the Apostle Paul. Um, if, if you don't know, Paul was this, this great persecutor of Christians. He murdered them. He put them in jail. He made life miserable for them. And then uh, Jesus shows up in his life and he does a 180. And he becomes like this super apostle, church planner, missionary spokesman of God. Well, he made a lot of enemies because of this, and he had people through the book of Acts that were pursuing him. They were trying to catch up to him, and they finally catch up to him in a city known as Lystra. So we're going to jump in Acts chapter 14. I want you to see this real quick, verses 19 and 20. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. All right, so they, they were trying to kill him. All right, they, dr they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. All right, they checked his pulse. There's no breathing. I think we finally got him. A little bit later, but the disciples gathered around him, and he rose up and entered the city, and the next day he went on with Barnabas to, to Derby. Okay, so they thought he was dead, the people who stoned him. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Many scholars believe, and, and I think I believe this too, that indeed Paul was dead for a short period of time. That he had what we would call an outer body experience, where his soul left his body. Years later, 
14 years to be exact, Paul would write about this experience. And he would write about it kind of in the third person. Here's what he says. I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, whether it was in the body or or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up to paradise and heard. He's in heaven. He can't see, taste, smell, but he can only hear. Heard inexpressible things. Things that no one is permitted to tell. All right, and so many scholars believe when he was stoned, he did, God called him up to heaven for a brief period of time, brought him back, uh, and then he got up and went to the next town, which I would do too. If you tried to stone me here, I'm, I'm headed to Dallas next. Bye-bye, Hiram, right? Um, you, you see, in the text, though, Paul can only talk about what he's heard. And Paul cannot even describe them. He could not put into words just the sounds that he heard. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, uh, he was never short on words. But he said this is is no word in any language that I can even use to begin to describe just the inexpressible sounds that my ears heard as I was called up into the presence of God. That's just the sounds of heaven. And so heaven is this wonderful place, man. It's a place that's so wonderful that it can hold our attention forever. There's nothing on this earth that can hold our attention forever. Right? Think about the guy who retires. Uh, I was talking to one of our elders the other night. The, the guy who retires at like 60 and says, you know what? I'm going to play golf every day of my life. I just can't wait. After about six weeks, you're so sick of golf, you just want to throw your clubs in the lake, right? Because there's nothing that can keep us from being bored or futile here on this earth. Heaven is so magnificent that throughout all eternity, it will hold our attention. Okay, and so option number one is you'll spend eternity in heaven. Option number two is that we might spend eternity in hell. Now, hell is not a popular doctrine to preach today at all. In fact, many evangelicals don't even believe in hell anymore. Hell is a very real place. Uh, Did you know that Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven in the Gospels? And he describes hell more vividly than he does heaven? You see, when you read the Gospels, there's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against an absolute, literal hell. And so, as great as heaven is, hell is, even, is, is the exact opposite. Hell's this awful place where there's eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from anything good. And so, I, I hear a lot of people kind of jokingly say, well... If I'm going to hell, at least I'm going with my friends, right? We'll just have a good time down there. We'll drink a few beers and whatever it is that we're going to do. Uh, but, but, but I mentioned, I was like, I want you to think about this. Companionship is good, right? Even in prisons with the most hardened criminals, uh, they, they dread um, being isolated because companionship is good. In, in hell, you will not be with your friends. 
You will be utterly alone for all eternity. This is not a good place to be. Everything good is gone and everything evil remains. So what I want to do is I, I just want you to listen to the words of Jesus himself. This is, these aren't my words. This is Jesus describing to us what hell will be like. And I think as inexpressible as it is to talk about the goodness of heaven, it's almost equally as inexpressible to talk about the wickedness of hell. But Jesus tries to paint somewhat of a picture for us. Matthew eight twelve, Jesus says this. While the sons of the kingdoms will be thrown into outer darkness. He's talking about hell here. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the first thing he mentions is that hell's a dark place. There's no light at all. God is light. God is good. So he calls it not just darkness. He calls it outer darkness. As dark as dark can be. Right? So imagine this. Eternity. Foreverness. With no sight. Just pitch black. But it appears we'll have our hearing, though, because Jesus says all you'll hear is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping because hell is a place that has no peace, no joy, just misery, just regret. Then he says there'll be gnashing of teeth. So the best way I can kind of describe this to you, um, it's, I know this is a clumsy illustration, but, but those of you, th think about maybe when you were a kid or, or something and you used to watch those old spaghetti westerns, all right? And then the cowboy in the western would get shot, but it wouldn't kill him. But they'd have to haul him to like the, the local town doctor. And, uh, you know, the doctor's not equipped to do anything. And so they, got, they say, we're going to have to pull this bullet out. <laughs> and so they give him a swig of whiskey and they have him bite down on something. And then, you know, they pull that bullet out and then he always survives and, and he wins in the end. Um, but you have this concept of the only way you're going to be able to have any alleviation from this pain at all is just bite down on this bullet or this leather strap as, when we remove the bullet from, from your body. And so this is a picture we get from Jesus that this place is so filled with evil, so filled with pain, so filled with death that the only thing a person can do is weep and grind their teeth together. That's the only relief they can find. He says over in Mark chapter 9, talking about hell, Jesus says this in verse 43, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. So Jesus talks about hell being this unquenchable fire, a place where the fire never ceases. And so the picture you get is being on fire but not being consumed. All right, I don't know if you've ever been burned like really, really bad. You, it, it hurts and something like bad enough where you have third degrees and it blisters up. I mean, it, it's, it's some of the most intense pain. The picture Jesus is painting here is you're burning, but you're not being consumed. So for, for a real dramatic illustration, if I brought one of you up here and covered you with gasoline and set you on fire, right, and, don't, and, and hold you or cage you in so you can't put, put the fire out of yourself, in a few minutes, your misery is going to be over, right? Because you're, the fire is going to consume you. It's going to kill you. But Jesus is describing this place where you're, where you're feeling that, but there's no relief. It's just eternal pain. 
This is, this is not a pretty picture. I, I realize that. This is two weeks in a row we've had very depressing sermons. Look what he says in verse uh, 48 of, of Mark chapter 9. talks about hell. He said, hell's a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. We talked about the fire, but he talks about the worm not dying. And so the word picture he's trying to give to us is just be, imagine being covered with maggots. And they're eating your flesh, but your flesh isn't being consumed. So you can feel the burning. You're in total darkness. You feel the worms eating your flesh. You're totally isolated alone. All you can do is weep and gnash your teeth for relief. It's this awful, awful place that was reserved for Satan and his minions. But make no mistake about it, it's also reserved for those who reject Jesus as God's son. Jesus describes hell even more vividly, but for time's sake, I'll have to leave it there. Real quick, though, I do want to take you to uh, John the Apostle, back to his revelation, where he describes hell as a, as a place that has a second death. Um, it's Revelation 20, 14, says this, Then death and Hades, Hades and hell are not the same place, by the way. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's hell. The second death, the lake of fire. And so John's saying, listen, there, there's this place called hell where you have a second death. And actually, every day you die over and over again. Um, so we use this formula around here. Those of you who are Elevate old timers, you, you've heard me use it before. Uh, but I just want to remind you of it because we have so many new people coming and going. Um, there's this formula. It's very simple. And it's, it's this. You're either born twice and die once. Or you're born once and you die twice. All right, let me explain. Uh, you're, you're either born twice and you die once. In, in, in other words, all of us are born uh, from our mothers. Okay, we all have a physical birth. But many of you in here, I would think the majority in here, have had a second birth. You have been born again, as Jesus tells Nicodemus to do. You've been born of the water and the spirit. You have Jesus residing in you. So you've been born twice which means you're only going to die once. You're going to die physically and that's it because the wages of sin are death. But there's the majority of people in our world, though, are born once and they die twice. They're born from, from their mothers. They reject Christ. All right? they, they, they don't want anything to do with him or they say they follow him uh, at church, but they really don't follow him. So they've rejected Christ. So they're going to die physically and then they're going to die what the Bible calls the second death, where their soul will die over and over again. And the place where that happens is hell. And so the bottom line is simply this. You are going to spend eternity, the last and the longest season of your life, in either heaven or hell. There is no in-between. It's one or the other. I love what Thomas Watson says. He was this great uh, preacher during the Puritan era. Uh, and, and he says this, quote, Eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. You see, God in his mercy set eternity in our hearts to warn us, 
to remember our Creator, to worship our Redeemer. Why? Because eternity is a long time. When I was a kid, I used to sit there and try to think about forever and how long it was, and I would scare myself. And I've gotten, I haven't gotten much better as an adult because I can't grasp it. I just know it is a very long time. I use this illustration a lot because there's not many illustrations on eternity. First saw this when I was a teenager, my home preacher. Just, just imagine, I know you've, some of you have heard this before, but imagine a bird flies to the beach and he picks up one grain of sand. All right. And he takes that grain of sand and he's going to fly it to the moon and drop that grain of sand on the moon. You know, the moon's over 200,000 miles away. It's going to take that bird a long time to take that grain of sand and drop it on the moon, right? Then he flies back, which is going to take a long period to come back. He picks up another grain of sand, flies it to the moon and drops it. He does that till every grain of sand is gone from every beach, every ocean floor, every desert in this world. I mean, we are talking trillions and trillions and trillions of years for this bird to accomplish this. That's not even one second of how long eternity is. It's almost silly for me to even say that because it's, it's not one second. Because forever is a long, long time. And so Solomon is warning us, it doesn't matter whether you're in the summer season, the, the spring, the fall, the winter season of your life. He's saying, listen, do not spend your entire lives planning and working for these first four seasons alone. Make plans for eternity. Make God part of those plans. You know, Jesus offers eternal life, and it's of no cost to you and I. Very famous passage of Scripture, maybe the most famous, is John 3, 16 and 17, which says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's ta- that word perish is talking about the second death. Should not perish, but have what kind of life? Eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So one thing I want you to understand is is when God sent Jesus here, he didn't send Jesus here to judge you. He sent Jesus here to save you, to bring you through, through to a life of eternity. However, the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back, coming back for his church one day. And when he comes back, he's not coming to save. He is coming to judge. He's coming to say, these are my followers. This is my church. I prepared heaven for you. Those of you who are God-haters, who've rejected me, who've, who've believed in a counterfeit gospel and, and defamed my name, your place is with my adversary, the devil, and his minions. And there's this great separation. And so I would say this, as hard as this is going to be for you to hear, um, you have no excuse after hearing what I just preached to spend eternity in hell. There's no excuse. 
There's no, well, God, you know, I heard that sermon, and during the response time, I knew I wanted to give my life to Christ, but, you know, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to go up there because, you know, people would think I'm a sinner. You fit right in with all of us because we're all sinners. Or, you know, your pride gets in the way. Uh, I don't even believe in that stuff anyway. There ain't no God. That's just, that's a defense mechanism the devil uses to put in your head. There's just no excuse because salvation is this free gift. It's this gift of life that God says, listen, I loved you so much that I sent my son so that you could have heaven. You could have eternity if you submit to me. You see, it's having to lay our pride aside that gets in a lot of people's ways. But Paul says in one of his letters that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And did you catch what he says? In heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. That means when Jesus rips open the sky and reveals himself, all his scoffers and all his doubters and all those people who, who just denied him and, and lived life for themselves, they too will bow and confess that he is Lord. However, their destiny was already sealed. So what Solomon is saying is, we've got these four seasons of life to go through and live and toil, but we better figure out and be prepared for the grandest and the longest season of life, eternity. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.